Well, what a difference a week makes. Man, last week was, weather, speaking weather-wise, last week was terrible, <laughs> but it's gorgeous this week. Uh, so good to see so many of you. I'm hoping you're having a chance to enjoy the warmer weather these past couple of days. Um, one thing I've noticed recently that whenever we get into these freeze-thaw cycles, there starts to become an increased prevalence of certain types of signs that show up at intersections in our city that typically say the words, witness needed. Have you seen, seen some of those where people think the road perhaps is dry but actually just froze recently because the wet water got cold, it froze, they slid into somebody. And it usually is an indication that somebody needs more evidence of something because an incident has taken place. Whenever I see one of these signs, it reminds me of uh, a number of years ago when I was back in BC and I was pulling out of the back lot of the company I was working for. And, and as my truck edged the end of the back lot to this alley we would drive out of, uh, I stopped and looked, and, and being wintertime, I would kind of cautiously edge towards the alley, and I looked to the left, I looked to the right, and wouldn't you know it, there's a delivery driver, his van is just like flying down the alley. So I stopped, and he saw me come forward, and when he saw me, he, he got nervous, so he had his brakes, and he started fishtail a little bit. And he straightened out, and as, as I'm sitting there, totally parked at the edge of the lot, I watch the van come towards us, slow down, he passes me. He goes up into this little bank fence a little bit, stops, and then slides back down. And his, like he got totally past me, and his back of his van hit the driver's side of my truck. Busted taillight for him, dent and fender for me, not a huge deal, but still, I thought, I didn't do anything wrong, I want my truck fixed. So, we exchange information, go to the insurance company, we both give our statements, a couple of days later, insurance company gets back to me, 100% my fault, <laughs> which I have no idea how they came to that determination that it was 100% my fault, as I was in, still in the lot, not even in the alleyway, I was at a complete stop, I watched him slide right completely past my vehicle, proving I was not in the alleyway, and then slid back and actually hit me, 100% my fault. I asked for an appeal. I had an appeal. 100% my fault. So I found myself in a situation going, well, what do I do? What can I do? And the insurance company said, well, unless you have another witness to add more evidence, we've made our decision. And that's where basically that part of the story ends. And I had to pay the full deductible and have it on my insurance. But that story, the way that that works out, is actually not that dissimilar to how a lot of people make spiritual decisions, how a lot of people discern spiritual situations in their lives. You see, when people would have these challenges in the past, they used to come to the church and find evidence of people within the church. But, but that's not really what happens a lot nowadays. It, it's still one of the options that's available to people. But more often than not, the first place people turn to is, is to the Internet. Or, or they'll turn to a, a, a friend a family member, a parents. Parents are still critically important in helping to answer some of these questions for people. So a parent study here, do not underestimate the power you have into your, lives, your children's lives on these sorts of matters. Quite often people also turn to their own thoughts. And all of these things they will attribute a level of authority to because they're all different forms of witnesses. But they're only witnesses to what they've experienced and therefore their authority is limited. Because what if all of those authorities they looked into, none of them had experienced the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ? If that was the case, then all of the research they have done, and Jesus is not even an option to consider. 
if only a witness would come forward. If only a witness of Jesus would step forward and make a statement that could potentially change everything for them. Because what does a witness do? A witness is somebody who shares what they have personally seen, heard, did, and experienced. Their personal experience, they share that with another. And throughout history, in the court of law, an eyewitness, a person with personal first-hand experience, has always been the most powerful form of evidence that exists. And the same is true in the case of spiritual matters. If you have a trusted friend, a trusted family member who shares a story with you, odds are that you just accept that as valid and true. Because you trust the source. You, you hold them to a high authority of trustworthiness. Whether it's a story about what they did last weekend or a story about the reality of Jesus in their lives. You give validity to it. And if you ask a person, what is the origin of your faith that you have? Regardless of what the faith tradition may be. If I were to ask many of the people gathered in this room today, what is the origin of their personal faith that you have today? Or what is the origin of the faith journey, the pursuit you're on today? 80% statistically will point back to a close friend or a family member who shared their personal journey with them. See, an eyewitness account from a trusted source has incredible power. Incredible power. And we read about this actually in the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus declared to his followers, all those people who had placed their trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins and, and were striving to live in obedience to him. He said to all of them in, in Acts 1, 8, that, that they had great power and they, they would be witnesses of him. He says it this way. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, in Christian terms, being a witness means that that's a person who shares their faith story. They're sharing with other people the difference that Jesus makes in their lives and the lives of those around them. And it's really considered accepted to be part of the Christian faith, but yet a struggle for a lot of people. Let's just acknowledge that this is typically a struggle for a lot of people. And statistics have, have proven that. In fact, uh, just last year, the Barna Research Group looked into this a little bit to see what the current stats were. And here's a couple of things that they discovered. First of all, they asked the question of practicing Christ-following believers that do you believe that part of your faith means witnessing about Jesus Christ? And across all age groups, from, from millennials up to elders, 96% said yes. That an important part of my faith means being a witness of Jesus Christ. A follow-up question they asked them. Do you believe that the best thing that could ever happen to a person in their life is to come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Again, across all ages, from millennials to elders... 96% said yes. That is the best thing that could ever happen to a person in their life. Ask them a third question. Do you think it is wrong for you to share your personal beliefs with somebody of a different faith in hopes that they will share your faith one day? Starting with the elders, 73, age 73 and up, 20% said yes, that's wrong. We shouldn't do that. Boomers, 54 to 72 age group, 19%, pretty much the same. Gen X, 
my people. 27% said, yes, it's wrong to do that. And then they got to the millennials. People who are 20 to 34, and 47% said, yes, it's wrong to share my faith. In summary, regardless of who you are, of your age, of, of, of what part of the group demographic you belong to, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it is unanimously agreed upon that it is important, it is beneficial, it is critically necessary for people to know Jesus. But there's a rapidly growing trend that says, but it's wrong for me to be doing that. Which just reminds me of the words that Paul said to his church in Rome. When, when he, he challenged them in, in this question, he said, but, but how can they call on him if, unless they believe in him? And, and how can they believe in him if they've never heard of him? And how can they hear of him unless somebody tells them about him? And how will anyone go and tell them unless somebody is sent? How will anybody hear about him, believe in him, come to know him unless there is a witness of him? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in his forgiveness for your sins, if you, if you wake up in the morning and, 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 and to whatever degree you're putting effort into it, say, I, I, I need to follow the path. I, I need to try to obey and honor Jesus with my words, my actions. Say, if, if you are trying to make him the Lord and Savior of your life, then you are a witness of the power of Jesus Christ in your life. And so for this next month of February here, which we're calling Missions Month, I want to encourage you. We want to impassion you. We want to equip you to grow in this area of your faith walk. Over the next five weeks, you have the opportunity here from a great, solid lineup of speakers. You're going to hear testimonies from people's lives of what this is looking like. You're going to have the opportunity to get updates of local and global ministries that are taking place to make this a reality in their own lives and the lives of those around them. And as we go through this month, we're going to be using this verse of Acts 1, chapter 8 as our guide. And so I want to tell you, you do not want to miss a single Sunday in the month of February because it is going to be awesome as we go through this effort to encourage, to impassion, and to equip you towards these purposes. And I have the great opportunity today to start this off by looking at the first part of this verse in Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells his followers that they will go in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this verse in, in Acts 1.8 is part of a, a bigger process that's taking place as Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry and about to ascend into heaven, and he's kind of passing the torch from himself to his followers to continue the work of calling people to relationships with God through him. It includes what happens in Acts chapter 1. It also includes Matthew 28, a well-known passage where Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. But he also tells them, as the book of Acts chapter 1 says, he said to them also, but, but don't leave Jerusalem. But wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father promised you. You know, the one that you heard me speaking about. Because in just a couple of days, if you go to Jerusalem and wait, in just a couple of days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And indeed, he, he had spoken of this before. His disciples knew what he was talking about. Because even just most recently, 
on the evening of which he was arrested and would be taken away to be crucified. He had spoken about it then, but even now in this moment as he's about to ascend and passing the torch to him, he's speaking as though this was the most incredible gift they could ever receive. And if we go back to that night that he was arrested, before that took place, he said to them in John 16 that this was such an incredible gift. It was so, empower, so incredible that he said, it's good that I go away. It's better that I go away. Because if I go away, then I can send him to you. And that was a statement that made no sense to the followers of Christ at this time. Because how could anything be better than Jesus beside them? You know, I used to travel for work a lot. And, and I was gone for at least half the month for a number of years. And it was always hard to leave because I had a wife and three young kids at home that I would be leaving town constantly. And, and then when I would leave, I would, I would take pictures with me of, of the kids and Nadine and, and, and I would call every night and talk to Nadine and try and talk to the kids. The old ones are old enough to talk anyways. Sometimes I'd be driving down the highway listening to a song and it's like, oh, the song reminds me of Nadine. So I'd pick up my cell phone and I'd like call her and I'd get her voicemail and I'm like, hey, listen to the song. It reminds me of you. And then I'd hold the phone to the speaker. I thought it was cool. All she hears is like static on the voicemail. But I thought it was sweet. It, it was, I would do things like this. Why? Because we were apart. We were apart. I was longing to be together. The pictures, the phone calls, the voicemails are, are no substitute for being together. Together is better. But here's what the disciples didn't understand. Is that if Jesus stayed, that he was limited by the physical nature in which he existed. See, he could only be in one place at one time. He can only give one lesson to one group at one time. And, and if he stayed in that reality, he never would have gone to the cross. And if he didn't go to the cross, he never would have paid the price for our sins. And if that didn't happen, then we would not be reconciled to God. But instead, he goes, I'm going to go do that to make that possible so that I can then send the Holy Spirit to you who is not limited by such things. Who can be with all people at all times, teaching them all things that I have spoken to you and empowering you in your lives. And so a remnant of 120 followers of Christ did what he told them to do. They went to Jerusalem and they gathered in an upper room. They obeyed his instructions and they waited. And while they are gathered in this room, 50 days after the death of Jesus Christ, on a day that would become known as Pentecost, Acts 2 verse 2 tells us that suddenly as they were gathered in this room praying, suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind from heaven came through and filled the house. The sound of like a jet turbine fills this house where they were sitting with this noise and this blast of wind. And they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest upon each and every one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. The quiet of their prayer meeting is interrupted by this jet engine of wind and noise that comes into the room. And as that falls upon each of them and then leaves, that noise is replaced with the noise of a multicultural worship service taking place as each of them speaks in these different languages, praising and glorifying God. The noise was so much that the people down in the market square below stopped what they were doing and looked up to think, what in the world is happening over there? Because these people from distant lands who had come to to journey to Jerusalem are hearing voices that they are familiar with, their native tongues that they spoke in their own lands, being spoken in this room, saying things about God. They start to wonder amongst each other, what could this possibly be? 
was going on amongst these people. And so Peter steps out. Peter steps out and he calms the crowd down. And, and he tells them, as we continue reading through Acts chapter 2, and he, he addresses the crowd and he tells them about Jesus. About the one that they had arrested and crucified, the one that they had betrayed, but the one who was risen, who had paid the price for their sins. And he says, he is the one you were waiting for. He is the one of whom you need to call upon for repentance of your sins, and you need to be baptized. And then chapter four, 2, verse 41 says, and those who accepted that message that day and were baptized were 3,000. 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were not witnessing Peter's power. They were not witnessing the words of power. Read the Gospels. He never said the right thing. Peter never did the right thing. He was always overstepping. This is the guy that caused issues, didn't necessarily resolve issues. No, they were not witnessing Peter's power and words in this moment. They were witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit in him as it was drawing people to God through Jesus Christ. Why? Why did Jesus say it was better for him to go away? Why did Jesus say it was better for the Holy Spirit to come? Why, why was it better for Jesus inside than beside? Because on the day of Pentecost, 120 little Christs walked out of that room. And they went out proclaiming and witnessing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the world we know has never been the same since that day. But, but here's the most incredible part of the story. The most incredible part of this reality, this incredible news, is that that exact same spirit that dwelled upon them that day, that indwelt Peter and empowered him to speak that day, that exact same power is in this room and is in you today. The same power. Because all who believe, all who have placed their trust in Christ will not deny this reality, that the Holy Spirit, the living God, is in you. Let me press this one little further. If you believe the Spirit is amongst us and in us, is that just a cognitive awareness? Or is that a practical reality of your life today? Was it a practical reality of your life yesterday? Is it something that you experience, that you know? Like, like have you stopped? Have you processed have you eternalized this incredible blessing? Have you stopped and processed the, the amazing power that is in you and what it could do through you? Like, has it practically impacted your life to the point where if you woke up tomorrow without the Spirit, it would be different than today? A lot of us will know the name Francis Chan, and, and, and he tells a story when he speaks of this about uh, a caterpillar. And how a caterpillar, for most of his life, just kind of crawls around in the dirt. Really, relatively small area of dirt, just a couple of plants, a small patch of land. And, and it just kind of crawls and eats and crawls and eats and crawls and eats in the small little area. Until one day it's eaten enough that he decides, I'm kind of tired, I'm going to take a nap. He goes to sleep, and it takes a nap, and a rather long nap. But when it wakes up from its nap, that, that dirty, plump little worm body is gone. And it wakes up and it discovers it can fly. Like, like it is a new creation 
with new abilities, and now it faces a choice. It still has legs. Is it going to continue just to choose to kind of walk through the small little patch of dirt and the same little plants it had before? Or is it going to choose to spread its wings and take to the skies and live in the new reality of what it is? What a shame if it never spreads its wings and takes to the sky. But if it does, what things it will see what things it will do, what things it will experience, and it can come back and tell other little caterpillars all about. You see, it is, it is critical that if we are to be witnesses of the power of Jesus Christ, we need to experience the power if we're going to be witnesses of the power. That's what Paul was saying to his church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 when he says, I, I, I pray I pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God for us who will believe. See, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. This is the same power that existed on Pentecost. This is the same power within us. This is the same power that reached into the grave and raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power exists within us and in this place today. I want to live in that power. I want to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing that it is better to have Jesus inside than beside. I do not want to be content to just crawl under my own power. I want to fly in the power of the Holy Spirit and allow that to be a witness to all. Amen? You see, when Jesus was first explaining this incredible gift to his followers, he told them this, and this is how it relates to our witnessing. He said this in John 15. He said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. But you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Quite often when Jesus would speak about the Holy Spirit, he would use the word paraclete. It's a Greek word that's often translated in the Bible as counselor or advocate. And this word paraclete refers to one who comes alongside another. And we see examples of this in our world today, this paraclete. If, if you ever hear the word parachurch organization, it, it speaks of an organization that comes alongside a church. To, it, it's not the church, but it comes alongside the church to work with and to strengthen, bolster, and encourage and support the church. A parachurch organization. If you've ever heard of a paralegal, the person is not the, the lawyer, it's, it's not the, the lawyer themselves, but they're a person who comes alongside the lawyer, the attorney, and, and supports them and, and helps them in their work, a paralegal. And so you see this advocate, this paraclete, it says it testifies about Jesus Christ. This means that the, the paraclete is here, the advocate is here to continue the work of Jesus, which was the work to call people to repentance, and if we were to jump ahead a little bit, you can look this up later in, in your notes if you wish, or if you're in the online sermon notes, you'll see it's already included in there for you. In, in chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, it describes how the Holy Spirit does this. It says that when the Holy Spirit comes, when the, the paraclete, the advocate, the counselor, when he, when he comes, that he will prove the world wrong about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. You see, he'll, he'll convict the world of, of their sin. Because they've trusted in themselves rather than trusting in, in Jesus. 
He'll prove the world wrong about, about righteousness because there is no righteousness found within themselves. But instead, Jesus went to pay the price for our sins, making a way for us to have a relationship with God. And he'll prove the world wrong about judgment because there, there's two kingdoms. One is a defeated kingdom of sin, but one is the reigning eternal kingdom. And he'll convict people to say, well, to which one do you belong? But notice that in the words of Jesus that he shares in this passage, he emphatically also states, you must testify as well. Meaning that if you have experienced this, if you've experienced a shift from the kingdom of sin to the, to the kingdom of God, if you've brought or sought Jesus' forgiveness for your sins and his righteousness and eternal life through him, that you have a message of hope. You have a hope story for other people. And therefore, you are commanded to be witnesses of that story. But you don't do it under your own power. You just like Peter, who had the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, come alongside him and empower his words. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and empowers us and empowers our words. It's a cooperative effort is what happens. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, yeah, my story is kind of plain. My story's kind of boring. It lacks, how would you say, power. No one could ever be impacted by my story. And, you know, I've heard a lot of stories over the years, and you might be right. You might have a rather boring story. It might be rather plain. You might be in a similar camp to myself. You see, I hear all these testimonies over the years of being a pastor, and some of them are just fantastic. Fantastic and amazing in the details and the movements and, and the freedom people found from certain things, going from rock bottom to sailing high. Like, incredible stories. But there's a lot of people like myself who, who their story is along the lines of, you know, I grew up in a Christian home with, with two loving parents who, who cared for me and took me to church. And, and through their example and the people around us, I experienced the love of Christ through example and through words. So it's not too much of a surprise when I was quite young, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Not, not a lot of climaxes and highs and lows in there. Now, now if, if I told you the whole story, there are a lot more ups and downs. And we just haven't got time or, or context for the full story. But what I can tell you is that even my full story is not as amazing as a lot of other people's. But here's the thing. I have told my full story to a lot of people over the years. Just honestly, authentically, genuinely, just said, hey, here's my story. And then their response back to me is, that's amazing. The response back to me is, I am so envious of you. The response back to me is, it just encourages me to want to go do something different or better. I even had one couple come up to me and say, you know, we've been wrestling with something for the last year. We feel like God is calling us to be missionaries in Uganda. And after you shared your story, we're going to go do it. And a year later, they left. Listen, that's not me. That's not because of my story. That's not my words. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in me doing what he does with I set forth to allow him to work with. See, we are sent as witnesses of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. If it was just us, we would get discouraged quite often and very, very quickly. But it's not just us. We are in a relationship as the paraclete comes alongside our words and our efforts and empowers them. And that is what makes the difference, is the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit.
One of my favorite examples of this that we find in Scripture is, is found <clears throat> excuse me, in the Apostle Paul. You know, when I, when I read about Paul, is, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know, like, like half the New Testament written by Paul. This guy was amazing. This guy's a powerful teacher, powerful preacher. Like this guy went on missionary trips and, and talked to like, like the highest officials in the land and, and amazing things happened in his life and around him. He was the spiritual father of multitudes like, like back in the biblical days. But even today, his words just, just impact people's lives with incredible depth. This guy planted churches everywhere he went. It's amazing how powerful this guy was. He must have been so gifted. And yet, when he writes to his church in Corinth, defending his ministry, this is what he says. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence. I, I didn't come with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. I really resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and, and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. I came with fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but, but they were a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith wouldn't rest on me, it wouldn't rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. If I were to remove the Scripture reference from there, if, if I were to remove Paul's name and kind of how I preface that verse, if I could ask you to kind of put aside for a second the fact you may have read that and know that that's from Paul. If, if I just read this to you with no context, that, hey, I came across a guy's story, let me share it with you. It really could have been any number of people. It really could have been a, a story of the witnessing of somebody in this very room who was just simply humbly saying, I, I didn't have eloquent words. I, I didn't have a whole lot of wisdom as I witnessed to my friend about God. You know, I definitely didn't have all the answers, except I knew Jesus was an answer they needed to get. I, you, you may have noticed that I was fearful, that while we were talking, I was, I was trembling a little bit at times as we talked about these things. But, but all I can say is this, is that is that whatever difference my story made in your life, whatever resonated in your heart, whatever you were prompted to do, whatever response you made, whatever action you were, you were leaning towards, whatever you, your mind is wrestling with right now, it's, 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 that's the spirit. And if that's happening in you, then that's even further evidence that my words are true, that my story is real that I shared with you. See, Paul didn't say here that it's wrong to have theological and philosophical debates. See, he was just saying that's not always required. There's a lot of people who don't require that, and some who do, and there are those who are very gifted to enter into those discussions. But here's the thing I want you to take away from this, is that when you are living for Jesus Christ, you have all you need for effective storytelling. See, first of all, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Which means that secondly, you have a hope story. And if you have a hope story, then as you live that story, your life starts to take on a narrative. And that narrative, that story, is about the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. And that narrative is your hope story. That narrative is how you finish the sentence, if it were not for Jesus... What? If it were not for Jesus in my life, what, what would be different? What would you still be stuck in? 
What would you still be wrestling with? What would you be unable to overcome? What would you still be destined for? You know, as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the first four books of the New Testament, we see people constantly having encounters with Jesus and then going out and telling their hope stories. We see this, for example, in John chapter 9, where Jesus encounters a blind man, heals him, and then the Pharisees question him, what has happened to you? What is taking place in your life? Tell us how these things are possible. And his response was, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I can see because of Jesus. Mark chapter 5, a demon-possessed man encounters Jesus, and he is healed of this oppression. And it says, so the man went away and he began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at a well, talks to her, first man in a long time probably to, to pay proper attention to her and to show that he cares about her and, and to, to get into her life a little bit and offer her some support and encouragement and direction. And she runs back to her town and she tells everybody, come and see the man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? And then Mark chapter 1, as Jesus encounters a leper who he heals, and it says after he was healed, he went out and he began freely talking and spreading the news. As a result of that, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed in lonely places outside. Because of their hope stories, people flocked to Jesus. Why? So they could find their own hope stories so they could find their own hope stories. You see, people want to know the difference that Jesus makes in your life. And if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a story to tell. But it's not a story about your own power, although you certainly have an important, critical role to play in the midst of it. You see, it's a story of the power of Christ in you because you have been sent by Christ in the power of Christ to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Grace, truth, and love. So let me challenge you with something. Let me challenge you to set aside some time. Maybe this very day, maybe this, this week. Don't wait too long, though, but to find that time to sit down and write out your hope story. Maybe you came to know the Lord many, many years ago. Maybe it was recently. Maybe you're here and you're still on a journey. You're still not sure, if, you know, about this whole Jesus thing. That's okay. You still have a story that you can sit down and write. And, and as you do, sit down and, and start by just, just pause and just pray for clarity. Just pray for, for God's focus. Pray that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the details that are critically important. And at the top of the page, write down the words or type the words, if it were not for Jesus, pause, and then start writing. If we're not for Jesus, what would be different in your life? Where would you still be? What would you still be stuck in, still, still wrestling with, still, still not knowing? If you have not made that decision in your life yet at this point, and you're still just curious about, about who Jesus is, you still have a story about, well, where did you first hear about that? What brought you to this place, to this church today? That is the starting point of that story. And going over that will help you to see what the next step may look like. How did you come to know? Who was your witness? What difference has it made thus far in my journey? But I want to challenge you on one more thing. I want to challenge you to press past that voice in your head right now that says, that's not for me. 
I want you to press past the, yeah, but, that might be going through your mind. I want you to press past the desire that exists right now, but then somehow seems to fade when you walk through the doors and go out to your cars. I want to push past those as well, because I'm pretty confident that the Holy Spirit wants you to do this, and it's a good idea. Why? Why can I be confident in that? Because I know it's going to do two things that he wants to come alongside you in. Number one, it's going to build your faith. It's going to help you to understand the journey you've been on and where Jesus has shown up in the past and how he has been with you in the present, giving you faith and confidence for the future. But it's also going to equip you with the words you need when you come across that person later on this week that goes, see our church this week, eh? What, what was that all about? I'm also confident of this. That there's an enemy who doesn't want you to do this. There's an enemy who doesn't want you to be confident in your faith, who doesn't want you to be equipped to answer those questions. So I ask you to press past that, to press into the conviction of the Holy Spirit to write that story, to have it ready so that you are prepared, equipped, and that you may go in the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that... that that we can have the power of the Spirit within us. God, I pray for those who may be here who, who, are, who are feeling like that is not who I am. That, that maybe there's something I, that I don't have, something I'm missing out on, something that I need to take a step towards. And anybody who is in this room right now that feels that, Lord, I pray that in this moment they would feel that that is the sense of the Holy Spirit that is saying, this is what you've been looking for. This is the forgiveness. This is the freedom. This is the path I've called you to walk. And if you will walk with me, your life will never be the same. Can I pray anybody who feels that conviction in their heart? Lord, they would just pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross to pay the price for my sins. That I can be free of the shame and the guilt. That I can be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, help me to walk with you in obedience every day from this day forward. Lord, you gave your life for me. I now give my life to you. Lord, I thank you that the Bible says that when a person makes that confession, whether it is in this day or a day in the past, that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within that life. That they are never the same, that they have wings to fly like the butterfly. To experience and see and to do new things. God, may each of us who have that reality spread those wings and fly this week. That we may see the power of the Spirit, that we may enrich our, our, our stories, our testimonies, so that those that we encounter, we will be able to say, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you work in us, through us, and for us. We anticipate the incredible things that you are not just doing, but have yet to do in this place. Thank you that you entrusted these people to us, Lord, for, for our care, for our comfort, for our encouragement, for our advancement. May you use us powerfully for your name, for your sake. I pray this all in Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to be your Son and our Savior.